Welcome to Identity Church Sunday Morning Message, where sonship is revealed. Stay tuned at the end of this message to receive more information about resources available through Identity Church. Now grab your Bible, sit back, and enjoy a message from Identity Church that is already in progress. I've had an interesting week that kind of correlated into last night, where um, Stephanie worship leader used to work for me and and uh, she has a memory about as big as a mat and she put a it is, is is am i wrong well where is she i'll talk to her i'll, I'll uh, i already did it she had an eye she had one of my ipads that she forgot the password she put on it and so it has been unusable for how long, Ron? Long time. And so finally, I was able to go into the Apple store and try to figure out how to get ownership of my iPad back. And the guy looked at me and he says, can you prove you bought it? I own the stupid thing. I have it in my hand, and I can't use it. Why? Because it has somebody else's identity on it. Her name is Stephanie, but she doesn't have enough memory to tell me what the passcode was. And and no, I'm not. No, this is serious. We we worked on trying to she, every passcode she had. We 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 couldn't, so it's unusable. Somehow we so we're in the Apple Store and. I, I didn't bribe the guy, but he told me, here's what you're going to have to do. He gave me all these steps, and I'm like, I'm throwing this thing in the trash. I ain't doing that. I'm, I'm not. I'm just, I won't. I won't go because I, I, he goes, can you prove you bought it? I said, yeah, I always buy my stuff from, from Apple. No, you bought this one at Verizon. I'm like, dang, I can't even prove I own it, but they can prove that where I bought it. And so it's just a hassle, and I don't do hassle real well. And, and, and I'm all week been kind of like, err, err, you got to err. And it's like, Lord, help me. I, I hate throwing away a good iPad, but I will. And uh, somehow the manager comes over and he erased Stephanie's identity in the Apple iCloud. And then I was able to take ownership. Oh, I know the password. I'm not the one with the memory problem. Not always. <laughs> but but the, the bottom line is, Stephanie's identity and... <laughs> The Apple iCloud, <laughs> her identity has been erased. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> but it was funny. Is Apple has this whole program for someone has a company and people that, that I could actually, if I was in that, control it. When an employee leaves, I can wipe it out and keep it and stuff. And he goes, because, you know, employees, when they get disgruntled, they do that. I'm like, that's not the case. She just has no memory. She's a really good lady. I love her, but she can't remember nothing. And, and so that, that 
erasing her identity to reestablish true ownership. Was Susie kept saying, what are you going to preach this weekend? I don't know. I'm kind of figuring out this thing. And then, you know, so I, 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 I went and bought a new computer because this one doesn't like to work anymore. That's what. And uh, I literally, uh, I've gone into rebellion against Apple. And I bought a Microsoft computer. And uh, I got new boxes and boxes of stuff. And I made a decision that I'm going to become a purist. I'm not going to try to use Microsoft products on an Apple's operating system. I'm going to use all Microsoft products on my Microsoft computer. That was an interesting theory. I'm going to explain something to you. It ain't going to work. But the purest of, 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 of the operating system, um, of trying to figure this out, because, I mean, I've got, I got iPads, I've got multiple computers, and they're supposed to sync and talk, and they don't like each other. And, and it's, just, it's just frustrating. And, and as I'm going through figuring this out, Holy Spirit says to me as I was in the hospital crying over my friend, he says, you know what your real problem is? is what? And he goes, it's your operating system. You've let old thinking creep back in to your operating system. And sitting on the back porch with Anthony Andolino yesterday, and he's like, you know, our church's name is Identity, and that's really a good thing for our church because most people don't know who they are. I'm like, shut up. Now I'm going to have to preach this, you know. But, but it is about identity. Transform people, transform relationships. Transform people, transform marriages. Transform people, transform children. Transform people, transform businesses. Transform people, transform cities. Transform people, transform nations. The problem is, is we haven't gotten our proper identity functioning with the proper operating system of the kingdom. There's too many people that have gotten saved that have not been transformed. And you wind up with this mixture of beliefs and this mixture in your operating system. And it comes down to knowing who you are. So what happens when <clears throat> to you when you're born again? Um, going through some of my computer stuff, uh, and, and I've had this stupid thing. I've used this as an illustration before. You ever remember the whiteout, little bottle of whiteout that when you spelled something wrong, you put whiteout on it? It's been, what, 30 years I haven't needed a bottle of whiteout? But I have one. Why do I have one? Because I don't throw anything away. Um, if I wasn't married, I would be a hoarder. 
<laughs> yeah. Okay, but but you know, how how many how many of your kids even know what whiteout is? No. no, they've never even seen a typewriter. No. There hasn't been a typewriter in my office in thirty years, much less my homes. Why would you need whiteout? And the problem is, is we have we have programs and we have belief systems that absolutely have no ability to function within the operating system that we're living in today as Christians. Here's what we say when you're born again. My sins have been covered up or forgiven. In other words, we are defining a new birth by just an erasing of the past. I did have sin, but my sins have been covered up, which is partial truth. We think Jesus had whiteout. Here's the problem with our identity. Divine whiteout? <laughs> no. Many believe that God took out his divine whiteout and blotted over my sin, covered it up, so that now when he looks at me, he doesn't see the sin, which is really still there. But he acts like it's not. God is like Santa Claus, pretending he didn't see our naughty behavior and then put you on the nice list. The new birth is something that has been added to me. So the first answer is that something has been covered up. The second is that something has been added to me. The ideal here is that I still have my old sinful nature, but now I have this new nature too. Are you seeing the problem here? This is an Apple computer trying to function and operate with Microsoft software. It works, but not well. It won't sink. They believe they have this ruling sinful nature, this old person that they were in their life without, outside of Christ. But now this old person has had a holy invasion. The eagle has landed. Jesus came. Jesus came and set up camp inside of you, and now this new nature exists right next to to each other, and so the battle rages. This is this is the this is where most Christians you you're you're, you're battling because we haven't figured out this new being born again. And so now, whichever beast you feed will grow and rule over the other. How many have ever heard the story? The old Indian chief that got got saved, and the missionary comes back a year later and says, you know. How's your Christian life been for the last year? And he says, well, it's like I have two dogs living on the inside of me. I said, really? He says, which one's winning? He goes, the one I feed. Listen, there aren't two dogs in you. There are not two natures in you. When you, when you have this, we enter this do-it-yourself religion. The Bible paints a different picture of what is happening at salvation. Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We have died to sin. God doesn't come to improve people. He didn't come to fix anyone. He came to kill them and resurrect them from the dead. This is the problem with sloppy grace Christianity is that we we got to start preaching the death, 
burial and resurrection of Christ. Instead of going past all this and, and trying to white, you know, white out your past. If we, and here's what the Lord showed me yesterday. He says, you have not embraced my cross in years. Now, I've got stories of uh, visions of the cross. I got, and he says, you think you're so far past it, you forget to go back and smell the dirt. Smell the death. He said, if you would actually visit it once in a while, the lie you've been li living would have been dead. The belief system that you've been putting in place would be dead. You no longer have a sinful nature. <clears throat> Verse 3, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? How many have not been baptized? Okay, do you understand baptism is a type and shadow of you were, you were crucified with Christ? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Here's the deal. Romans 6, Paul paints a picture of what happens when you are born again. Paul uses water baptism to illustrate this truth. Listen to Romans 6, 5 again in another translation. You have been united with him in a death like his. You have, you have been planted together in the ground in the likeness of his death. You have become one with him by sharing in his death. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, he entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. Your participation in Christ's death was up close and intimate. It is a mystical reality that you actually share a burial with him. You went into the tomb with Christ. Feel it. Smell the dirt. Get this revelation in you. Realize how final it was. How many have known, have heard me tell the story of when I had my hands wrapped around the cross and his blood came down his side, came all the way to his big toe, one drop of blood fell on my head and transformed my thinking. That was an encounter I had in 1993. Do you know I have told that story and have had Christians tell me that's too bloody. I'm going to tell you, a Christian that doesn't embrace the brutal death of Jesus Christ on the cross has not embraced the life-giving resurrection power that he gave right after his death. 
And I really believe God is telling me as a, as a leader, start preaching the cross more blunt and more absolute than I have ever preached it before. Because if we don't get back to the death, burial, and resurrection of the cross, we're going to have wimpy, I like money, we'll have wimpy Christians who will be double-minded. And right now we, we, we have this sloppy grace thing going on, which is an excuse for not embracing the death process of the cross. Therefore, we can have our pet sins. When the answer, when the water flows over us, it was as if we were in the grave with him. The old sinner that you once were completely died to the same degree that Christ completely died. Catch this. This is basic gospel. This is, this is why we're so double-minded. We haven't embraced the cross. Death to self is not a lifelong process that is, that is dependent on your own self-efforts. It was a final and complete act. Eighteen times in Romans 6, Paul says that you were dead, died, or death. Eighteen times. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we have also lived with him. See, there's the problem. We talk about living with Christ, but we haven't actually gone through the death process. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has his mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. God didn't pull out pull you out of sin. He pulled sin out of you. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Say that. Now I'm going to make your little pinball machine tilt. I am as righteous as Jesus Christ is. It doesn't make your religious ding, ding, ding. How can I say that? Why? If I can't say that, then you really don't believe it. And what you've done is you've watered down the death, burial, and resurrection process. The old self was not just forgiven. It was annihilated. God sank the whole ship. He didn't give you... He didn't just give you a pretty screensaver, ignoring all the viruses, porn, and spyware on your hard drive. He wiped the whole hard drive out and gave you a new operating system. The new birth is not just a cover-up of sin. The new birth is not adding on to me a new nature. The new birth is bringing into being someone who has never before been here. Jesus parallels this reality to natural birth. It is described as having been put to death in Jesus Christ. There is a new me that has never made, made alive to God in every way. This is one of my favorite verses. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. There is a mystical reality that happens when we are born again. This plunges us into all the Christ, all the Christ is and has done for us instantaneously and irreversibly. If you're in Christ, my essential, real, true self is totally new. That's why the apostle Paul says, I get up, I renew it every day. His mercies are new every morning. His mercy is great. Why? If you haven't gone through the death process, you don't think nothing's new. Then you start letting depression and discouragement and, and fear and everything else overtake you. It's new. If, if you can't get that, would you please die? <laughs> I am one with Christ to the point where I have shared in and participated in his history. What is true to him is now true to me. He was crucified. I was crucified with him. He was buried. I was buried with him. He was raised from the dead to a newness of life. I was raised to the, from the dead to the newness of life. We have been seated in heavenly places above every ruler, principality, and spiritual authority. This is what it means to be in Christ and to have Christ in you. So that everything I was has been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I am alive. I am alive to the very life that courses through the human nature of Jesus Christ, who was a God-man. He has now made his life in me. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it is not I, but Christ who lives in me. This is the new identity. It is not trying to be like him as if he is the great example back in history or way out in heaven or in the galaxy far off. <clears throat> far away while I am back here in my old nature trying to be what I am not. Trying to say no to my true self and trying to be like him but rather a brand new person has come into existence by the power of the resurrection and united with Christ to become an extension of the life of Christ on earth today. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. If you ever say that in front of me, I'll get you saved. That statement will keep you into religion and bondage. You're no longer a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner for sure. That is something you need to remember. And when you receive salvation, you were saved by grace. But now your name is no longer sinner. If you believe you are a sinner, then you will sin by faith. <laughs> you will always act out what you think you are. You'll act out what you think you are. It comes back to identity. If you continue to say, I'm a sinner, then you will continue to sin. You will spend your whole life trying not to sin. You are now a saint. I know St. Charlie just doesn't flow off your lips, does it? It flows off my mind, but it doesn't flow off my lips because I haven't got it in me yet. 
not because you made yourself one, but because he made you one. If, you, if you've been taught that you received Christ, you're still sinners. We will struggle with trying to do the right thing because we have put our faith in our ability to fail instead of the ability of the work of the cross. Someone said, if I'm a saint, does that mean I can't sin? Oh, now we're going to get right down in your business. If you are a saint, you can still sin. Don't recommend it. You still have a free will to make choices. See, if you didn't have a free will, and God just made you love him, God just made you obey him, I mean, I mean, let's face it. I mean, I kind of like my wife, been married 41 years. You know, she could leave. <laughs> I'm hoping she doesn't. But, you know, the indication that she's still there is there's still enough relationship. But the fact that she could leave makes it pretty valuable. Did I just kill the room here? <laughs> Years ago, I said to the Lord, you promised me that I would have finances. Where's the promise? He said, son, if you had the finances, you'd get divorced. Because there was a time where we were struggling. And if I'd had enough money for us both to live apart, we would have. So sometimes God's promises are on a time capsule of your maturity. With your spouse and him. I'm, am I preaching to you? <laughs> Adam and Eve were not born with a sin nature, and yet they sinned. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Adam and Eve sinned, sinned originally without a sin nature, and so can you. How many of you have tried sinning recently, and it still works? Can you sin without a sin nature? Absolutely, because you have a free will. Sin is no longer a problem for the Christian. It is the results of the problem. The problem is that you forgot who you are. The only time a Christian sins is, is when they are deceived. Satan said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. That was a deception to forget who they were. Problem for many is that we are practicing micromancing, constantly digging up what they used to be to see if it's still dead. Micromancing, necromancing, I can't, whatever. Huh? You knew what I meant? Did I spell it right? Yeah. Okay, the redneck version didn't. Okay. I do that all the time, and so do you. You dig up your dead man. That means playing with that. Necromancy is conjuring up the dead. It's, it's, it's more than that that I won't say. Yes. Right. Okay, but but what do we do? What do we do? What, what, what do we do when we talk about, well, I used to be able to do this, and I used to do that, and I used to do this. Listen, if we're not careful, we're actually digging up our dead man.
sitting there talking to Dan, you know, and he, he still thinks he plays football. That man ain't seen a football field in 60 years. In his mind, he's a running back. So I stroked his ego and said, when are we going to play? Get out of this hospital bed. Come on. You know what? You know why? I said this last week, and I don't know if I made brownie points, but you know why so many archaeologists are women? Because they can dig up the... <laughs> they dig up... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Consorting with the dead. Every time... Every day... Every day, let me tell you what goes on in the courtroom of your mind. There is this working of the accusing of the brethren in your mind, like a district attorney who is determined to prosecute you to the full extent of the law. What you need to realize is that you have an advocate. You have an attorney. John calls him Jesus Christ, the righteous. If you allow him to defend you rather than trying to work those things out in your mind, then he will approach the sovereign God of the universe, by the way, which is the judge, which is, is our daddy, and let him plead your case. If we will actually know who we are in Christ, I'm not telling you that the accusation will stop. How you handle it will stop. You can go to Zechariah chapter, chapter 3. The accuser of the brethren is there, and he's got paperwork on you. And, and you turn to your attorney, he handles it, and the paperwork goes away. Why? Because I'm not that man. It's a false identity. And Jesus let the Father know that what we have here is a case of mistaken identity. My client only looks like the person who has committed this crime. A DNA test will prove unequivocally that he is not the person that he is accused to be. New creation. Here's the solution, Romans 6.11. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. The problem is, is that religion will have you work on being dead to sin, but that will hold you back from being alive in Christ. And if it can hold you back from being alive in Christ, then you will lose your focus on who you really are, and he'll destroy you, and you'll turn into a, this, this cyclical mind crap just all the time. Consider yourselves dead to sin. Do not be conformed to this world. Why does he say that to a group of born-again believers that are a new creation that have been given as an inheritance the mind of Christ? Why does it say, do not be conformed to this world? Because it's possible. Even though you are a new creation, you can be transformed, reformed, to old ways. You can be reformed to old ways. Ways that you have been completely set free from. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Transform people, transform cities. So you 
also must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ. Consider yourselves dead to sin. Bill Johnson says, sin is a third shoe. What am I to do with it? I have no place for it. This is what sin is. You have no place for it. If it were just the power of positive thinking, it would still probably help a bunch of us. Sometimes we get around some people who are so negative, and since they are not going to put on the mind of Christ, you wish they would go and just do some positive thinking. It would help. The enemy comes to you in this way to remind you of a sin of your past. You are able to say, that was not me. That person is dead. I saw him when he was crucified and buried, and it was brutal. One of the weakest links in most Christianity is the absence of biblical meditation. Which is what takes knowledge and brings it into a person's life until it is not just something that I intentionally ponder. It has become a source under which I think and live and move. It becomes internalized until it becomes me and I become it. Biblical meditation is not the emptying of the mind. It is not getting rid of all these things and sitting in the midst of emptiness. God says here, dwell on this. There are at least two words used for meditation. One is found in Psalms 37, where he talks about the beauty of the Lord and meditating on his temple. That word has the idea of someone who is inquiring which is a fascinating picture. Picture this. I am meditating in the temple of the Lord. My heart is toward the Lord. It is, oh God, what do you mean by this? And could it mean this? How many ponder scripture? How many ask the Lord, what are are you saying here? How many have had an understanding of a scripture and You matured, it's a year later, and you go back to the same scripture, and all of a sudden the revelation changes. And it's a deeper level of God. It's a deeper deeper level of commitment. It's a deeper level of intimacy. The, 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 The Bible is a living epistle. This is an interaction. This is a partnership. I'm looking at your beauty, and I'm saying, does this really mean this really means this? There is a whole other order of biblical meditation, which means to mutter. It means the kind of muttering to yourself. In biblical meditation, you're considering God's goodness, what Jesus has done. Pick any truth, and by muttering it, what you are actually trying to find your own language for what he has been said until that thing becomes part of who you are. How many of you know that when you're when you're first beginning to learn the truth, you have to intentionally think about it. Intentionally. We have to intentionally sing it right in a song. We intentionally quote the scripture. We have to do it on purpose. Lance Walna puts it until it becomes cellular, until it becomes a part of who you are until it is my normal reaction. So you can also consider yourself 
dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. This is more than a five-minute deal or one-time message. This is a normal Christian life of victory. Here's Romans 6 in the message. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we're left the country where sin is sovereign, we how can we stay alive in our old house there? I did or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? This is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. We came up out of the water, we entered into a new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we were lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Christ. When we were raised up out of the water, it is like the revelation, resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life would nail to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer at sin's every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get, if we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included into his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as that end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, we think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Pretty basic, isn't it? How many times do we need to hear it? You operate in the prophetic gift. You operate in teaching gift, you operate in pastoral gift, you operate in being a mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, you do all that, you wake up, you're crying over your friend, and the Lord says, you haven't visited my cross in two years. Has it just become too bloody? Then he speaks truth to you. You want you want a real conversation, Charlie? Yeah, God. You're mad because you didn't have the power to heal Dan. You're mad. Like, well, I'm talking to you. <laughs> you might know me. <laughs> Yeah.
if you want my resurrection power, start visiting my cross again. How much death has been around us lately? Debbie's father, Anthony's mom. Who else? Hmm? Ted Hamilton. Almost Dan. I told him yesterday, I said, even hell didn't want you. <laughs> He's my friend. He's my friend. I can get away with that. But but look at the look at the sicknesses. There's there's sicknesses. There's disease. There's <laughs> some. I'm riding my Harley and God's talking. Got tears flowing. They go that direction at eighty. By the way, but the tears were flowing. If you want resurrection power, start visiting my cross again. The body of Christ is supposed to have the answer for sickness and disease. We're supposed to raise dead people from the dead. We're supposed to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We're st- I'm, I'm not going to water those sections down because I'm not experiencing them. I'm going to make the adjustment to have that. Pastor, healing is increasing. I'm seeing people come out of wheelchairs. I'm seeing people whose vision is being restored. I'm seeing people whose cancer is going away. I'm not up here saying those things aren't happening. I'm saying that our batting average needs to increase. I'm saying it to encourage them to receive it because I see it all the time. I see it all the time. And it's funny because today in worship, I saw a vision where there was a black mantle rising up in front while we were worshiping. And then behind it, I saw a cross coming up. And I'm like, whoa, what am I seeing? And when you said the thing about going back to the cross, I said, whoa, I got the revelation. We need to go back to the cross. Listen, if we don't, I think the American church especially, if we don't start getting back to the cross, we're going to be leading people to the church and not Christ. It starts with me. Starts with me. See, the the problem is when when I was debating with the Lord, Debbie's dad, Anthony's mom, Ted, Dan, others. We've got some other people that have been praying for. He says to me, he says, here's your report card. Their death still has a sting. 
that means you're not right. I'm not saying you're not supposed to grieve. But when a person is born again, there is no sting. And so if I'm still carrying a sting, then I have developed a false identity. And I'm not looking at it at the proper perspective. Does that make sense? You going home? When you come back soon, stretch your hands over here. He's going up. He's going back to the jungle. Father, we just release a blessing and favor over Ricky, over his wife, his kids. Lord, we've enjoyed this time here. Let him have traveling mercies. Let him have favor as he reengages his job and situations and things that he had been disconnected from. Let him reconnect in a higher level with you. And we release blessing and favor over him. In Jesus' name. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I don't know how to close that. Uh, Stephanie, would you come and do, uh, let's do that song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus again. Let's make it our, our prayer.
thank you for the word today. Father, as we meditate on your word and your principles and your name this week, 
ask you to highlight the false identity and the lie that we believed individually, corporately. And let us learn to embrace the cross again and go through the death processes and the areas where there is no peace and the areas that there is confusion and strife, frustration. Because when we come through the proper death process, there is no sting. Even if you're going after something in our life, there's joy, there's peace, there's refreshment. Because you're a good God. And we thank you for resurrection power. On the other side of whatever situation it is, I thank you that you would rather be my friend than just my God. You want to be my friend. You want me to be your friend. So teach us to be friendly to you, Holy Spirit. Because a dictator demands obedience. But we want to please our friends. We'll make adjustments because our friend has a requirement that we are not meeting. We will adjust to that because of the friendship. Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church. To know more about us, go to identitychurch.net where you'll find resources such as a calendar, media, and upcoming events. You may also download an app for your mobile device from the Apple App Store or Google Play. Then from your mobile device, you can hear our messages, read from the Bible, take notes, connect with us on the social media, and even pay your tithe. Again, thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church.